You're listening to Hockey to Heroin, the road to recovery on the Hockey Podcast Network. New episodes Wednesdays and Saturdays. Follow Hockey to Heroin on Twitter. That's at Hockey, the number two heroin for updates and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Brady Leavell, like any other Canadian kid, his dream was to play in the National Hockey League. Success came easily to Leavell as he began to turn heads in the Junior Leagues. Only pass from Long, he's got Leavell with him, Long walks in, Sanders, yeah! Leavell to right hand shot, rotates and then sends here Long, back to Leavell, And here we go, right off the bat, a fight ensues, and it's Leavold and Kerr, and they're both getting in shots. Now Leavold throwing right after right and just connecting like crazy. Once I met heroin, I mean, it was just, that became my new passion. What's the reason that young people who are athletes get addicted to heroin? They injure themselves, and they're more likely to be prescribed an opioid. And once addicted, many are going to switch over to heroin because it's much more cost-effective. And the effects that they produce in the brain are indistinguishable. When we talk about painkillers, we're essentially talking about heroin pills. Welcome back to another edition of Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. Guys, episode 31 getting up there uh guys first off i want to say thank you thank you so much for all the continued support to all my friends down there in the states happy independence day it's july 4th guys stay safe uh hopefully all my canadian friends uh managed to stay safe uh over the canada day long weekend up here in canada uh but guys uh if you're down in the states come on let's take care of each other this weekend uh stay safe guys uh, of course, guys, if you're listening, you're listening hopefully on the Hockey Podcast Network. You can check them out at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com, anywhere on social media, at HockeyPodNet. Uh, guys, I've said it before, if you're into staying up to date with the NHL, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. Uh, yes, this is a hockey-based podcast, but we touch on other issues, not so much. I couldn't even tell you if the NHL is starting in a week, a year. I, I honestly have no idea. Um, so sorry to all my listeners that may be offended in that, uh, but I feel that there's a lot bigger issues going on than trying to get back on the ice um, at a professional level. So, uh, guys, that's what we're going to talk about and we're going to continue talking about. Uh, so check out the Hockey Podcast Network, guys. Of course, shout out to my friend, Terry Ryan. Check out his podcast, Tales with TR, a hockey podcast. Uh, this guy was drafted, uh, what was it, seventh overall by the Montreal Canadiens in the early 90s. Uh, career never quite panned out, um, but you know he's doing uh, he's doing great things with his podcast. He's had some great guests like Shane Corson, uh, among others. Uh, Shane's actually going to be joining me on Monday as well. Um, guys, quickly, uh, unfortunately, once again, I'm not recording in the Matthew Lachinsky Memorial Studio. It's not done. It's been uh, sitting in the exact same position for the last two weeks because my new trusty friend, Matt Thompson, uh, he was down here, but he had to go back, and uh, he's coming back, I think, July the 12th. So pretty soon, guys, we're going to finish this studio. Uh, If you're a first-time listener, 
Uh, I will tell you a little bit about Matthew Lashinsky. Matthew Lashinsky was not a friend of mine. I'm sure he would have been. Uh, he was the same age as me, uh, literally uh, months apart. Uh, not even, a month apart, I think. And uh, he was drafted uh, in the second round in the OHL Bantam Priority Selection Draft in 2002. He broke into the OHL, um, but never quite had the career that he, you know, once had dreamt of and really I believe that he thought he would have I think everyone including his family members believe that and uh, unfortunately he struggled with mental health and addiction much like myself um, and there wasn't a whole lot of help for him back then uh, in 2017 he lost his life he overdosed and died uh, since then, after I launched, launched uh, the first episode of Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery, guys, uh, this guy by the name of Matt Thompson, who I just spoke about, he's a new best friend of mine, uh, he told me, he's like, man, your story sounds so much like a friend of mine, like my best friend that died in 2017, he told me about it, and I was like, wow, um, why is that, why did he die and not me, and, and since then, guys, he's not the only one, there's been multiple, multiple people, and even guys that I've played with. Um, that I found out that are either one still struggling uh, or two have lost their life um, and it's really sad guys um, but quickly before I touch on that I do want to say um, thank you to Matt Thompson for um, just being a friend uh, he continues to help me with this little project he's always calling me and messaging me about uh, different guys he thinks I can connect with because he's from Ontario and I'm from out west so he's always thinking about OHL guys and that's so why I appreciate that Matt thank you so much um, you know we're really doing this the right way as far as the studio goes guys and it's a real honor a real honor and I've been able to connect with Matthew Lashinsky's family they're gonna come up here uh, we're gonna do some fishing with Matt's dad uh, Matt Thompson's gonna be here and we're gonna fish with Lashinsky's dad and I have a surprise for his parents while well, we do um, so really exciting guys um, obviously it's a really sad story but we're gonna take the positive of this and uh, the positive is that uh, we are connecting with his family and uh, we're remembering him in the way that he should be remembered um, as the good the good guy he was and the great hockey player he was um, and from everyone that I've talked to you guys um, he was just a lost soul and I can completely understand that um, and it's just unfortunate that he never had the chance to redeem himself so you know what we're gonna do it for him um, and that's what we're doing so uh, Maddie if you're looking down buddy we're doing this for you um, among others because there's not just him that's uh, lost their life so guys that's why we are creating the puck support foundation I talk about it all the time it's in its infancy for sure uh, we definitely have a long ways to go but I feel we will always have a long ways to go because there's always things that need to be done um, and people that need help so um, guys things are definitely coming together I'm really excited about it and uh, we have a really exciting announcement we got into a really great fundraiser in May 20, 2021 out in Alberta and I can't wait to be able to officially announce it uh, really exciting thank you to everyone that's continued to support us um, in case anybody hasn't heard our mission statement I'll play it for you quickly before I get into this episode my guest is patiently waiting um, but check this out guys so this is something that I wrote um, and I sent it off to senior writer at my friend of mine Ken Campbell at the hockey news uh, and he revamped it revised it uh, and then I sent it to another friend of mine, Steve Buckley, down in Beaverton, Oregon, and he did the vo voiceover work. So check this out, guys. This is, uh, this is our vision. This is what we're trying to do. 
even though every child who plays hockey dreams of one day making the NHL. Winning a Stanley Cup and making millions of dollars, the fact is that very few of them do. Some end up with serious mental health and addiction issues, often long after the cheering stops and their safety net has vanished. The Puck Support Foundation is a nonprofit charity that is committed to providing relief for any player or coach, active or retired, who is struggling with these issues. We try to do that by providing a safe platform for hockey players to receive the help they need, confidentially and without fear of judgment. We intend to do that by working with mental health and addiction professionals to find and provide our brothers and sisters with the best prevention and treatment methods, and by providing a toll-free line that can be used by anyone, anytime, anywhere. Let's get ready to talk about it. All right. I love it. I still get shivers every time I hear that, guys. Um, you know, we're working continually on uh, more videos. Um, but, you know, guys, it's uh, we de certainly have a long, long ways to go. Um, but we will get there. And I know, guys, that we're going to lose people along the way. We're not going to be able to save everybody. Um, and that there's always going to be more people that need help. But guess what? If we can reduce it even by just the smallest of a fraction... Guys, that is a huge, huge success. If we can save one life, which ultimately I see we've already done, and again, there's a, is a process. It's a long time after a guy goes to treatment to see where he's going to go. But listen, we did our part. We got him in the doors of treatments, and I'm super proud of Michael. Good job, buddy. If you're listening, Spencer, super proud of both you guys out there. You guys are doing great. Keep on fucking rocking. You guys are awesome. Um, couldn't be more proud of you. Before I get in quickly, I just want to say, guys, um, I, I actually made a phone call the other day um, and my intake was yesterday. I'm, I, you know, I make these Facebook live videos. I have this podcast. I come on. I try. I'm learning, guys. I'm learning to try to convey the best possible message while staying authentic because I'm not going to come on here and speaking cliches like, yeah, the guys played really well tonight and uh, our goalie played really. No, no, no. Fuck right off with those cliches. You're going to get the real deal from me. I don't give a shit if you don't like it. Press stop right now. Um, that's just the way it goes around here. And the reason being is because if I don't stay authentic to myself and to the listeners, what the hell is the point of all of this? This is not just gibberish talking about hockey. We're trying to change lives here. Try to let people know that it's okay to get help. And yesterday, I had my intake for a mental health appoint assessment. And uh, so now I'm going to get in touch with psych psychiatrists, psychologists. I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to look at every avenue of healing. And that's why I really wanted to talk to my guest really really excited to talk to him but guys from the mind check so i you know kevin bxa and bell let's talk they call it a mind check i love it mind check get your mind check guys it's okay to get help but from there guys that was my original plan just to get my mind checked well guess what they actually offer more services so now i've signed up for sexual abuse trauma counseling which i've never done and uh yes it might be hard it might bring up some shit that happened to me when i was a kid but guess what i'm willing to face it because i want to get better and i want to continue getting better guys uh and i'm also 
signed up for some addiction treatment. So it's a it's a hat trick yesterday. I, I scored three times yesterday with three different services that I'm going to get involved in. So guys, that's me getting help. If you need help, get it. It's okay. There's no shame in it. Last thing I want to say is this episode is proudly brought to you by Team Issued Limited. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Guys, teamissue.ca promo code toadrag15 to get 15% off your total purchase. Check it out. That is a WHL alumni, former teammate of mine, Jesse Paradise's company. They got six snapback hats, sweaters, jogging suits, you name it, athletic wear. Um, Check it out, guys. Teamissue.ca. Like I said, promo code toadrag15. That's the only move I had. Um, So that's the promo code we go with. So let's do it, guys. Um, Without further ado, you guys want to hear about my guest? Let's do it. Let's do it. Episode 31. This guy was drafted in 1997. Second round, 36 overall by the Prince Albert Raiders. A good old Western League boy, just like myself. Um, Not sure if he knows this. He was also drafted in 2004 uh, by the Saginaw, I can't even say it, Ford or Foyd in the LNAH. I always throw these out there for my guests because this guy was playing professional, um, you know, on his way to the NHL. And these guys are, are trying to get him to come bang it out in, in this league out in Quebec. And it's always kind of funny. But uh, I'm not sure if you knew that little uh, tidbit of information for him. He was also a Ray Miron President's Cup winner uh, with the Memphis River Kings uh, in the Central League. That is no longer there. I played in that league as well uh, in 0405. Calder Cup champ, AHL championship. Uh, this guy was also the Phantoms Man of the Year in 2006 2007. For anybody that doesn't know what the Man of the Year is, you are the Man of the Year. Like, that means you've gone out to the community and you've taken extra time and shown that you care um, not only about the, your team, but the community and kids and everything. And so, like, what a, that, that to me is probably um, the biggest accomplishment that I see out of everything. Um, Not that there's not other great accomplishments, but when someone takes their time, especially, and it's always these types of guys, and we'll get into that, and, and it's just so great. This guy had 188 fights from junior to pro. That's what I counted, 188 fights. He retired in 2009, 2010, instantly jumped on board with Adirondack. Uh, from 2010 to 2017 as an assistant coach. Um, one of his bigger accomplishments, I think something he's super proud of in 2016, he was one of the founders of Athletes for Care, which um, is very much what we are trying to do with the Puck Support Foundation, similar, um, but they, they focus on all athletes. What If you guys check it out, I think it's athletesforcare.com. We'll make sure that we have it all queued up in the social media, but guys, we like i look at their website all the time I'm like i just wow uh what they're doing guys and the message they're they're spreading and he'll talk about it is incredible uh he's also um founded the hemp heel foundation uh he's also starting body check wellness uh which is an all-around um just get your wellness check guys this guy is a healer he went from 188 fights knocking people out how about this guys one referee between them and 
They're going to fight again, which will probably be an automatic misconduct here for these two because they were told by the referee not to go. But a rematch. Juan Cote. And again, they size each other up. And it's Cote who steps in with a left. Down goes Juan. Juan is hanging on to his leg now. But Cote said, let's get this thing going. Steps in. Juan not done. Another fight. Cote with a couple good punches in. And Juan goes down. Two big Cote punches. You got to go 10-8 now. Cote with the knockdown. What do you guys know about that? Without further ado, let's do it. Let's just get into this episode. Riley Cote, buddy, thanks so much for doing this, doing this, buddy. No problem. Thanks for having me. Hey, Riley. So listen, um, for anybody that doesn't know you, um, which most people in the hockey community do, um, and that is, you know, no secret. You, I mean, I spent the last couple of days, actually, the last week, really. Um, you know, combing over some of your videos and, you know, I wanted to talk to you about that because I looked at your stats. You're a Western League guy. You played for the PA Raiders. Um, I feel like you played a, a style of game that was similar to mine in the Western League. I, I mean, you had over 100 PIMS and, and, you know, 50-something points in your final year, but 100 PIMS isn't close to 300 pims like you were getting in the american league in the national hockey league so were you you only had nine i i have it all here like i have all your fights like you fought nine times in 98 99 in the dub um and once in the postseason then the next year you fought seven and twice in the postseason and then 10 so i mean really you never had more than 10 fights in a year in junior so talk about going from 10 fights um in 2001 2002 um to 30 fights in 2002 2003 and we'll get into what you're doing now because i want to get this out of the way with the fighting crap because i want to talk about what you're doing now because you're a healer and we'll get into that but talk about going from 10 fights to 30 fights and, and why you had to do that yeah you know it's uh one of those things i just felt uh, i needed to do to just earn my keep so um you know my first two years in the western hockey league 16 17 years old had a coach, the former tough guy for them, the Oilers, Kevin McClellan. So, you know, you know, he demanded respect, and I kind of knew a little bit about his background, but I wasn't playing much. You know, I moved away from home from Winnipeg and playing the Western Hockey League. Uh, you know, if I got in the lineup, I was playing limited minutes in the fourth line. So, you know, I can remember a couple, you know, a couple of his, uh, his post-game talks or, you know, during-the-game talks of just like, you know, what are you doing out there? You know, I... I you played the whole game and didn't even notice you out there. You got to do something to get noticed. So, um, as you stated there, I think nine fights my first year, seven my second year. So, not that I was a fighter, but I was a little bit more active in my in my last couple of years. But just only because I felt the need to. I just felt like you need to do something. I wasn't scoring. You know, I was getting on the ice and I was just forechecking. And, you know, I just felt like I was a competitive guy. I knew I could, you know, fight and, and, and at the very least, uh, you know, draw. So I was just kind of like take my fights and I think I'll play 36 games that year, the first year. And, um, you know, as I became, um, you know, I started having a bigger role on the team, I fought less. So I think my last two years, I you know, 27 goals and 50 points, not that it's anything, um, you know, extreme, but, you know, I was playing more, so I was fighting less and so I didn't feel like I had to fight anymore. I was never drafted to the NHL, except like four years of junior hockey. 
And then uh, I had the opportunity to go back to my overage year or, or sign with St. John's Maple Leafs at the time. And, uh, you know, I just made the decision, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go, I'm going to play pro, and I'm going to be a fighter. I was just, you know, I was, like I said, I was competitive. I knew I could do it. I trained since to be a fighter. I was, you know, boxing and taking Taekwondo and, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and all these different things and lifting heavy weights and just being an idiot, really, and just said, I'm all in, you know, I'm, I'm all in on this role. I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to fight the biggest guy, the guy the most telling minutes on every team. And, and my goal is to finish, you know, top three in fighting majors every single year. And, and telling minutes really doesn't matter because they're still counting 10 minutes gone. That's not really want to sit in the penalty box for 15 minutes at a time. So I was focused on fighting majors, not Miskanda. So <laughs> I just went out there and fought everybody and, and their brother, man. That was, that was it. Every league, you know, Central Hockey League, East Coast Hockey League, American Hockey League. And, Somehow found my way to the NHL, so it was uh, it was interesting. You know, it wasn't something I really planned to do. It wasn't like you know I was a fighter, throw junior, a real fighter in juniors, but I just wanted to live out my childhood dream, and that was the only way I knew how. Well, that's uh, I appreciate you sharing that. That's awesome, and I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, man, you were uh, a fucking tough competitor. Holy shit! Like that clip, uh, that clip I played. Um, of you knocking out Andre Waugh, obviously people, it was heard around the league and nobody ever likes to see people. And I mean, he wasn't hurt or nothing. He was more pissed off, which is kind of funny, but, um, uh, I mean, I, I just watch it and I'm just like, you know, you're not, uh, you're a big guy. I mean, you're six, one, six, two, like you're never more than two ten. I don't think you played out, which I mean, sure. That's big on an everyday standard, but when you're fucking fighting Donald Brashear, George LaRock, like, are you fucking nuts? Like, were you not scared? Were you scared? Can can you be honest? Were you scared? You know what? I'm not sure if the word scared is the proper word. You know, I knew I was going to fight them. It was it was just uh, there was just obviously some anxiety associated with it because they're obviously guys that I looked up to when I was when I was in junior hockey before that. You know. George, The Rock, and, and Edmonton, and, you know, I looked at these guys as, like, the toughest guys in the game, so there was naturally some anxiety, but, like, in my mind, I'd already prepared to fight these guys. In my mind, I already fought these guys, so I was going to do it irregardless, so naturally there's some anxiety, but, I mean, scared, I, I don't think so, because scared, I mean, it, it, would, it would have allowed me to not fight them, you know what I mean? So I, I fought That's everybody, right. every legitimate tough guy that I played against, I fought, and it was basically... Oh, it was really to prove that I wasn't scared. You know what I mean? It was you know, exactly, maybe there's yeah. fear involved in it, but the fear, you know, the fear of of the unknown or fear of of losing. But um, you know, I was I was in. I was in. I was a hundred percent in. So uh, those guys, like, I I couldn't shy away from those guys. Hundred percent, and yeah, you you said it right. And maybe scared wasn't the right word. I've talked about it on the podcast with uh, guys like uh, Goldie Goldthorpe, the the original Ogie Oglethorpe from the movie Slapshot. Like this guy's a that guy's a real guy in real life. Played in the minors, like crazy story. I had him on my podcast. He's like one of the most feared. In, he's the, the most feared enforcer. In, like he's like a legend. You know what I mean? Like that's what they made this character about. And even him, you know, he's talking about. We talked about anxiety. I had Chris Knuckles Nylon on, and um a couple other fighters like James McEwen who I played with in, in Kelowna I think you know James a yeah. little better I've seen seen some articles you guys kind of sign kind of have the same outlook with healing and stuff and um you know it's the anxiety so some guys experience that more but once I think it sounds like once you committed and you're like hey listen 
Uh, I'm not a first line Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid guy, and very few people are. <laughs> Even some of the first first line guys in the NHL are not that level. You know what I mean? Um, but let's just say you're not a top six forward in the NHL. And again, most people never will be. I mean, most hockey players never will be. Most NHLers never will be. So it's not a knock against you. It's just saying. So you legit were like, hey, I'm probably not going to be a 20-goal scorer in the NHL at this time. I mean, who knows? You probably could have been. Let's be honest. It's all about opportunity. That's what I believe. Um, because once you could play, I believe you can play. And if you just you were in the NHL, you're skating with all those best players every day. Your game's obviously going to elevate, right? Um, but... Uh, man, like you were just decided that, hey, um, this is my ticket and I'm going to punch it literally. And you went for it. And like you said, you you fought your way from the Western League to the Central League, to the Coast, to the American League, to the NA. Like that is legit. Um, people don't, this doesn't really happen very often and especially anymore like I look at guys like Alex Burroughs and you're like it just doesn't really happen so is there one guy that you look back uh Riley that really gave you a shot as far as a coach or a player that I fought um no well actually both I'd like to hear both because I was going to ask you about that there's so many questions going through my mind and the thing with podcasting is I have a million things written down and everything but it doesn't matter I've learned that over the 31 podcasts I've done that you can never tell where it's going to go um so I have so many things I've been wanting to talk to you for so long I wish I had like like two weeks to talk to you because I just want to talk to you on a personal level too but um to see like about healing and learn because I talk to DMAC all the time Darren McCarty and he just talks so highly of you he's like Riley's my guru and you know he knows you're so smart and so like now he's got my interest peak and he's been the one teaching me about all the different systems in our body and we'll get into that and um but you know man like you did it like you legit did it and that to me is a really like you just decided that hey I can do this and I'm pretty good and you were good at it but did you man I'm trying to think about like how to word this in in the in the proper way like so okay actually we'll get back to that I wanted to, you said yeah player coach is there one player that you're hey bud let me get a shot at the title and then was there one coach or GM or scout that like when you're playing in the central league or whatever that was like hey you know what because I saw that you signed you know, you signed a couple different times over the course of one year in the American League, and then you had to, you know, you got signed by the Flyers and, and for a two-year deal and all that. But like, is there one guy that really that you could look back as a as a coach or GM, and then one tough guy that really gave you a shot that maybe you did well and, and it gained you some respect? Yeah, for sure. So there's uh, there's, a, there's a couple guys that I'll lead into the the player. So um, Paul Holmgren, he was the uh, the general manager of the Phantoms. At the time, in 2004, um, assistant GM to, to Bobby Clark, and then um, and John Stevens was the coach for the Phantoms. So I got a phone call when I was in the center. I went back to Central Hockey League after my second year pro in the, in the coach because I couldn't find a deal. This was 2004-2005 lockout. I was there only three days, and I got a phone call from Ron Hexel, who was assistant assistant GM for the Phantoms, assistant to Paul Holman. So we're going we're gonna, to uh, fly you up to uh, Hartford, meet the team in Hartford, and we're going to sign you to a 25-game tryout. You probably land up being here for the weekend, and then we'll probably send you back or whatever. So hop on, uh, you know, hop on a plane, meet the team, and um, I was scratched the first night there in Hartford, and then uh, someone got hurt. 
so naturally that I got in the next game. And the injury was more significant than than we, than we thought, so I ended up sticking around longer than I thought. But um, basically, I just did my thing. I came in with <laughs> crazy ass and just started um, running around and hit guys and fight guys. And, you know, they just like they just liked my energy. So, John Stevens was my, my number one fan, so was Paul Holmgren. Just, uh, you know, the underdog story, I guess, if you call it that. And just say, you know, they always kind of told me that they're, they're rooting for me. So just keep your head on straight and just keep, you know, keep working, keep showing up, you know, first at the rink and, you know, leading by example. So long story short there was uh, I wound up signing four 25-game professional trial agreements throughout that whole year. Uh, I led the team in, in fighting majors. I think it was third in the, in the American League of fighting majors. And we won a Calder Cup. So an amazing, an amazing season, like personally and as a team. And obviously, when you win, everyone gets rewarded. So I ended up signing an NHL deal um, on my own. Actually, after that, I negotiated with Bobby Clark. Didn't have an agent, so um, I ended up signing a two-year deal with the Flyers. Um, uh. So you know, fast forward to I played one more year in the American League after that, and then I went to training camp and um, and obviously fighting whoever I possibly could to, to, to stick on the team. But I. Um, remember it was Washington Capitals coming in for a preseason game and Donald Brashear was there and I know I know Brash from training he's played for the Flyers obviously before that and he would you know come in the offseason I'd train with him so I knew, I knew Brash personally obviously knew he was a freak of nature and tough tough dude and I knew a little bit about his style and all that stuff and, and I've been tra- I was training that summer with some big ass Camden Cops like 70 pounds 6 foot 6 dude so I was like, you know, in the best shape I possibly could be in for fighting. My balance was good. I knew I could hang in there with these like legitimate super heavyweights. So when Washington Capitals came in and, you know, Brash was I don't know, 10 years into his career, you, you don't fight in preseason. Um, I was like, Brash, man, I'm like, we, we, I got to I, I gotta go. We got to go. And you know what I mean? And he's like, ah, you know, he's kind of like, fuck off, you know. <laughs> I knew he didn't want to, so I was like, all right, Brash, <laughs> I'm going to run somebody and I'm going to make you fight me. So, sure enough, I ran, I forgot who I ran. I was a defenseman on a four check. And then, you know, right away, Brash was looking at me. He knew I was going to do it. So, we fought. And I actually had a really, really good fight. It was probably the best fight I had against him. I fought him five times total, I think. And it was, it was the best one um, uh, for me personally, just because he's such a he's just hard guy to fight. You know, just such, a, such an tight fighter and so strong. But I, I held my own. It was a pretty long fight. You know, he tried to roll me over. I was able to stand up and and and, and, and at the very least draw draw the fight. So that fight, I think, specifically earned my spot in the Flyers that year. Just obviously, the, everyone knowing that he's a legitimate tough guy, and uh, just you know, just me just showing uh, how willing I am. So he gave me a shot. You know, the the, the Flyers themselves gave me a shot. Paul Homer and John Stevens were my biggest fans. So. You get a lot of support, like you said earlier. Just got to get that opportunity, and I just thought I just did the best I could with it. Uh, unfortunately, I think I probably you know did it to a fault. You know, I think when I signed up to be a tough guy, you know, I was uh, I was all I was all in to a fault. I was just training to be a fighter instead of a functional hockey player. I was you know in my mind the puck didn't exist. I was so concerned about fighting that I didn't even. I didn't even attempt to become a better hockey player, you know. So I think it was, uh, you know, my the, my rise and my demise. It was, uh, you know, it was it, it, it kind of made me who I was, but it wasn't sustainable the way I was doing it and the way I was playing. So, um, you know, that being said, I'm I'm happy for it all. It's uh, it's been an amazing ride, and uh, you know, thankful for the people that supported me, gave me an opportunity, and believed in me, and um, 
you know, the rest, the rest was all myself, you know, it's like the way I was living, the way I was playing, it wasn't sustainable, something had to give, but uh, in the moment, I didn't recognize that, and, um, you know, life has an interesting way of uh, pushing you around sometimes, so uh, that's exactly what happened, so yeah, it, was, it, was, it was an amazing ride, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So you got 156 games in uh, over the course of four seasons, um, all with the Flyers. So that, you know, it's nice, right? It was all with the one team. And, yep. um, and so that's nice. And, and you retired, um, you know, after your fourth season there, and you, you retired with 411 minutes, one goal, six assists. And, and like you said, um, you're, you probably could have, spend more time on your playing but when you're invested like that and like i i'm just listening to you talk and like you have to if you're gonna be a fighter and you're fighting donald Bashir, and you dropped george larock by the way like not with a punch but you you got him to the ice and you landed on top of him and you were pretty young i think when that happened like so that too like must have gained you some respect you knocked out andre wah um which was a crazy i want to talk to you about that here in a second i I don't want to just strictly talk about fighting we're going to just get out of the fighting thing into the positive healing aspect of it here in a second but i just wanted to open with the fighting and, and where your mindset was at back then because it was interesting to hear you say that of course you were fully invested in being a fighter and that it was sort of your rise was your demise and that's probably true but as i sit here and think about it it's like if you are not focused on fighting donald Bashir and george rock because those are the things you're gonna have to do and you're too busy you think about well, i'm sorry but you're probably going to end up getting hurt that is the legit like when you're fighting guys like that like honestly that you can if you don't protect yourself if you don't know what you're doing um i don't care what anybody says you can get seriously hurt did you ever like did you ever sustain any serious injuries in fighting just before we got off the fighting thing um like how many concussions from fighting would you say you had the hard one to uh to quantify i think i've only been diagnosed with three concussions uh, maybe only two of those from fighting honestly exactly but, you know the way they describe a concussion these days you know, anything's on the spectrum of concussion it's, you know anything any sort of uh head trauma really you know if, if your brain shakes inside your head it's it's, uh, it's on the spectrum of concussion so i would like to think that every punch is is, is a small concussion maybe i mean i don't know but <laughs> um you know could be a, yeah but you know, you know, the close two hundred fights there. Um, uh, you know, I don't know how many legitimate concussions I had, but it was certainly it was probably more than than I had been diagnosed with. But um, yeah, no, it's just you know, you, when you're when you're in the moment and you're and you're young and full of piss and vinegar and you know somewhat uh, you know confused on you know what you're supposed to be doing and you know having no real roadmap. Again, as hard as I was going on the ice, I was going off the ice, um, and it was just like just it just kind of took took over who I was. All I could think about was fighting and training for fighting, and you know, and I wasn't I wasn't training and, and living like a UFC fighter. These guys are pretty wholesome. These guys are legitimate, functional, high end athletes. I was you know lifting a lot of weights and you know not being functional for hockey and or fighting. Was looking big in the shirt and just like thinking in my mind, if I was this big, I could hanging with the big boys so my, my my thinking was definitely skewed but i was certainly focused on what i wanted to do you know what i mean that was to be a legitimate nhl tough guy uh unfortunately my my just my structure to doing that was was off i didn't really realize that until 
the wheels started falling off the carriage uh, towards the end. But, um, you know, in, in the moment I was living, I was, I was living my life in the highest and the, and the hardest possible way I possibly could. Um, but really just because I, I think I, the, the fear I was talking about fear is that I think, I think I was fighting the fear of failure, fear of letting people down, fear of not making it, you know, growing up in Winnipeg, I was, you know, in my, in my age category, like I was the man, you know, apparently. And, you know, all of a sudden I was like feeling this pressure of not being able to accomplish my dream. And so I was fighting out of desperation, I think, you know what I mean? I was fighting out of fear. Um, so, you know, that being said, it just, it just trickled into my, in my personal life, you know, it's like, you know, staying up the night before, you know, a game and, and thinking about your fights and, you know, the, obviously the party, man, like, you know, I'm kind of drinking and partying and stuff like that. I just went, I went along with the games. Like, yeah, I felt like if I fought that night, I did my job. You know what I mean? Now I can go and party with the boys and, and feel like I was, you know, part of the team. So, you know, there's a lot of skewed thinking, um, because I really didn't understand myself. I, there's, 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 what we're going to talk about probably in a, in a few minutes, there was, there was no self-love. There was no real, no true self-care. Um, in in those in those pro days because I was just like all in on this animalistic type of role where um, literally drink coffee and eat Sudafed uh, and, and Red Bull and whatever else I get my hands on before games to jack myself up so so jittery that I can I couldn't even handle a puck I didn't even want the puck because you know what I mean I was all I wanted to do was redirect the puck in the corner and go run somebody that's what I wanted to do but um, you know that it just it just thinking but. It, it, again, it, it, it was it was it was enough to get me noticed and, and find my way and play limited minutes. But um, you know, I didn't change anything, so I, I remained the same. And uh, unfortunately, was kind of you know, forced to retire. Uh, my my hands were definitely uh, my, my, my my hand was definitely forced there towards the end, and I made a decision to to bow out of the game with honor. Well, certainly, you uh, you know, you left uh, as an NHL guy. Um, you retired in an NHL jersey because a lot of like you look at a lot of guys um, like yourself and guys that are bangers. Um, you know, it's hard to stick around the league for a long time, even four years. Um, and then after that, you see a lot of these guys they trickle down to the AHL or to the coast or you know, and then they just sort of get lot lost. And it's sort of uh, I've talked to a lot of them, and it's it's pretty sad man like it's you know i just feel like there's not a lot of support for any of these guys not just fighters but but hockey players on on a on whole level but um you know how old were you when you retired so i was 28 years old i had another year another one-way contract um it's still left on my contract and um it's your point uh, of going down to the minor leagues. Like I, I knew after that season, um, Peter Laviolette took over. John Stevens was fired. Uh, I felt like that rest of that season was pretty much a, a wash for me. I think I only played 17 games that last year. Um, so mentally, I was like not in a good place. It's like, okay, well, now I've got to train all season for what next year, right? And I, and I was probably uh, going to get sent down to the minors being you know, a, a realist um, and knowing my situation. So I wasn't in a good space. Uh, you know, I had some substance abuse issues that I was recognizing that I had. So I go into the off season after that year and, you know, not, not in a very good place. Just like, you know, career-wise, personal, personal life-wise, and, and just, uh, you know, kind of everything in between. And I don't think I was home two weeks in Winnipeg. Went back home to Winnipeg and I got a phone call from Paul Holmgren. And I think he, he had a pretty good idea where my head was at with this all. 
And he called me up and said, Riley, he says, uh, Shell Samuelson, who's assistant coach for the Phantoms at the time, his house just burnt down. There's an assistant coaching job um, with the Phantoms. And would you be interested in that? We'll forfeit your last year and we'll turn into a coaching deal. See, I thought about it for a second. And then, I, you know, I thought about, you know, at the end of the season, I mentioned like the substance abuse. I was, I was really, really, really close to enrolling myself in a you know a traditional substance abuse program, whether it was through the NHL or, or uh, you know, outside the NHL, but one of those the standardized ones. And I, I thought when I got this opportunity, the first thing I could think of was, wow, this is this is my this is my exit strategy right here. This is going to give me a chance to, to to kind of step away from the scene. Be involved in the game, but be on the other side of the fence, where I can focus on myself, focus on healing. So it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't so much about retiring and getting into coaching as a, a long-term career choice. It was okay. This is an opportunity to get out of this crazy life that I'm living, jacking myself up to fight, being in a chronic state of anxiety, partying like I'm, you know, Mick Jagger, and, and you know what I mean, and, and all these crazy things that weren't making me happy, and you know, it wasn't fulfilling what I was doing. So. When I got this opportunity, I basically, you know, I was right at that moment too. I started kind of learning about plant medicines. When I started, I made the decision, like, I'm going to bow out of the game with honor and I'm going to avoid the substance abuse program and I'm going to do this my on my own with plant medicine and me putting the work in, um, knowing what I have to do to change this thing. So that's what I did. I called him back the next morning. I said, I'm out. I mean, I want to take the job. I'm out of playing sign me up, uh, whatever I need to do. And he was obviously, you know, thankful for everything. And that was kind of my retirement, but it wasn't so much, okay, I want to be, a, 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 you know, a lifelong coach here. It was like, this is an opportunity to stay in the game, work with players, but also to step away from the party because coaches don't party with the players, right? So, I mean, I'd be at home yeah. early and, and, and get my rest and get my yoga and start doing all these things I was doing, start learning about the CBD and, you know, these minor cannabinoids and psilocybin mushrooms and started just, attacking it um, that way and giving myself the, the, you know, the respect and, and self-love that I hadn't given myself for years and years and years. So that was it in a nutshell. So, wow. So that's, you know, you start coaching uh, in whatever it was, 2010, 2011, I believe, uh, with Philly. Um, well, Adirond- it, was it, it was the Phantoms, right? Yeah, it was an Adirondack. Um, Adirondack, yeah, yeah. Um, which which I, I played in Adirondack, not for them, but against them in the American League. Uh, it's actually a nice little spot. I didn't mind. I didn't mind playing in that rink actually. Um, but uh, so y- you transferred from playing to coaching. You mentioned uh, obviously that you're not partying because, like you said, the coaches don't party with the players. I mean, let's be honest. The coaches probably still do their thing, but not anywhere near the level of players. So you were able to, you know, dial it back in. And you mentioned doing yoga and the plant medicine. So when did that all start, and how did that come about? I know that you said you spent time, but who who brought it to you? Was it yourself by research? Is there somebody that inspired that? Um, where did this all come from? Um, no one really inspired me uh, on any of this stuff. It was a really a personal decision. The only thing I can think of that really kind of got me more into the natural way of living was my sister had been, uh, you know, so recently diagnosed with MS at the time. So I was starting to read books on natural cures and just like natural remedies for, you know, disease states. So when I made the decision to retire, um, the, 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 
the, the, the philosophies from that book and everything kind of like made a whole lot of sense, like just like reeling it in and, and this holistic approach, right? I mean, I think we've been, we've become reductionist thinkers where we're isolating compounds and we're, you know what I mean? We're, 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 we're not, we're not looking at things as a whole. So I was like, Oh wow. I'm like, I'm doing everything wrong. My, my diet is terrible. I'm eating, you know, before games, Mountain Dew, we're drinking Mountain Dew and eating pretzels and, you know, just, I was all about calories, you know, protein and all these macronutrients. And so, you know, I hit the bullseye on the wrong target with that. Uh, on the training side of things, like lifting heavy weights, taxing my joints and, sh- and shoulders and, and, and muscles, you know, to, to, to lift more weight, to, to look bigger in a shirt, thinking I was stronger. Um, so I, again, hit the bullseye on the wrong target. There. I was putting the effort in, but I was putting the effort in the wrong way. It wasn't functional. I wasn't, it wasn't about prevention of injury. None of these things that seem logical as a, as a professional athlete. So naturally I was like, Hey, well check my ego at the door. He's talking about humbling experience. Step, step into hot yoga with, you know, 50 year old women that are showing you up because you think you're strong and, and, and you're really not, you know, he's talking about core strength and balance, and all these things that are fundamental to athletes. Um, obviously didn't do a whole lot of work there. So I got into the yoga and put, put in the work, you know, the yoga it's just like now, now I'm about, being lean and efficient and functional, right? So I went from like 215 pounds and I'm not even 190 pounds anymore, but I had to, again, check my ego at the door and say, guess what? It's not about how big you look. It's not about how strong you are. You just got to, it's about being well. It's about feeling good when you wake up in the morning and removing inflammation and and just being just being full of energy that's sustainable energy, not not induced from Red Bull and, and, and whatever else I can get my hands on. So the yoga component to, you know, to replace, all the heavy lifting um you know the nutritional healing to replace all the garbage i was putting in my body um the plant medicines the cbd the cannabis the psilocybin mushrooms for all the ambient and, and pharmaceutical drugs i was pumping down my, my you know my, my throat um i changed it all meditation you know i never once before did i retire did i still my mind where i was like still and this is just listening that seems so fundamental, but I guess I was too anxious to do that. When you're full of stimulants, how can you sit down and, 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 and be and be still and, and listen? You know, you can't. You're restless. So I changed a lot of things immediately. You know, just just this stuff. I was all in on the fighting. I was all in on the healing. Like I made that decision, and I and I stuck to it. That first year, I I, I don't even think I had a glass of wine. Like I, I I cut out every everything that was toxic to my life. I cut out my last few surgeries that uh, I had when I wrapped up my, my career there, but a finger and a, and, a, and a nose surgery, I didn't touch the pills they gave me. I just used cannabis. So I knew, I knew in that moment that, wow, this is like really powerful medicine. If I can avoid those pharmaceutical drugs that are taking people down, I can promote and advocate for cannabis as a, a, you know, a pain management tool, an anti-inflammatory tool. Because I started understanding the science at that moment too. I started reading about it and, read a book called Hemp for Health and, and a couple other books that just kind of made me, you know, connect all the dots and have that aha moment. So after that, it was like, man, I lost a ton of weight. I was ripped. I was in better shape than I was when I was playing. You know, I was like, well, you know, 11, 12% body fat. I immediately was down to like 7% body fat, obviously less weight, but in very good shape. Um, you know, physically more functional because now I'm moving the way a human being is supposed to move instead of a, you know, a, a, a juice monkey gym rat and you know pumping weight. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, all that, that all that 
stuff being said, it's just uh, it's a holistic lifestyle, right? It's I mean, it's just the way you think, you know. It's waking up in the morning and and, and changing your behaviors, changing your morning routine, and and focusing on yourself. And it's not selfish to be focused on self care and self love. Like it's like the whole saying, you know, the whole the whole analogy on, on the airplane is if you, you put the mask on yourself first. Then you can put the mask on somebody else who can help other people. If you can't take care of yourself, how can you take care of other people? So I try to help people yeah. when, I, when I wasn't able to help myself. So until, until I was able to reel myself in, you know, through self-care and self-love and all these things I'm talking about, this holistic way of life, then I was able to help other people. And all of a sudden people are like looking at you like, wow, like you've made a ton of change. You're, you're doing so many, you know, great things. I, I want to learn how to do that. And, um, and that's what I did, you know. I had to take care of myself first, and, and and then everything kind of naturally fell into place. The people I was meeting, the healers I was meeting, the people I was working with, the scientists, doctors, the medical people that I was, you know, surrounding myself with. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wow. It's like, you know, your vibe attracts your tribe. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, I'm no longer attracting people at the bar because I'm no longer going to the bar. I'm no longer drinking. I'm no longer doing all this crazy shit I was doing. So I was no longer attracting that negative energy. So... Uh, you know, once you start thinking positively and doing, um, you know, more positive things in your life, you attract positivity and then it becomes Absolutely. you, you know, yeah. it's like, it just becomes your whole being. So that's, that's, that's kind of how it evolves. That's, uh, that's really, that's really awesome. Yeah. You're, uh, you've always been, well, not always, but for the last better part of almost a decade, a huge advocate for hemp and cannabis and, and all of it. And, and I, you know, I, talk about it all the time yes i smoke i smoke pot uh i want to learn more about it and get involved um in the educational side of it so that people so that you know what i mean because i look at it as a medicine too because i'm an addict i'm in recovery i'm not doing enough for my recovery still but i feel that this podcast and the foundation there's different ways of doing recovery but now i signed up for this stuff i talked about in the intro as well it's just a process but uh for me I'm an addict and people look at me and like, oh, you need to be clean off everything. Well, guess what? You know what? I've done the thing where it's no drinking, no pot, no drugs, go to meet. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the meetings and the programs because I think they're great. I think they're unbelievable. They don't always work for everybody, but there's something for everybody. I believe that you can find a program that will work for you. And I'm telling you that cannabis um, it is a direct, direct result why I'm no longer doing heroin and fentanyl and everything else. Um, so yes, uh, before we started this podcast, did I smoke? 100% I did. Um, am I going to smoke after this podcast? Yeah, probably. And then again tonight. Um, but the reason is, is not because I'm trying to numb myself or um, run away from everything like I was doing with the hard drugs because now it, it also helps with healing and you can talk about that a little bit more. Um, but I, I say to everybody, if, if you know what, people want to be on me and say, oh, you shouldn't be smoking, smoking cannabis because or smoking marijuana because uh, it's a gateway drug and you're going to relapse. No, 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 no. Guess what? I am. I used to be an intravenous drug user. That's how bad I was. Okay, I got that bad. I went from brink of NHL to homeless on Hastings with a needle in my arm in jail. Everything, and is I'm not uh, chasing around drugs all day. I'm not sticking a needle in my arm anymore. I am not, uh, you know, committing crimes to support my drug habit anymore. And that's not me. Like I would never do all this shit. It was just me chasing the drugs, having to feed my addiction. And I'm telling like people, I, I just don't like it. I just think 
there's the stigma is dying but i want to say thank you to you because you have been leading this charge long before i knew you like when i was watching you when i was playing junior and you're in the nhl like when you retired that's really when you started to you know go down this path and you were right there on youtube and right there making videos when the shit was still illegal so you know what i mean and you were breaking down walls and i saw the thing for the um hemp heal foundation and you're like you know because you truly believe in it all the health benefits with hemp with eating it with everything with never not just cannabis and marijuana smoking that side there's so many other health benefits and you were like you know what i don't care i saw the video it's like pretty much you're saying like i don't care i know there's gonna be roadblocks like i know people are gonna tell me no but this needs to happen because I truly believe in it. So I want to say thank you for that because you, you know what I mean? That must have not been easy because people look at it and it's like, mm, that's illegal. And that's, you know, some people, people are very quick to judge, right? And, and to get on you and stuff. But, you know, you stuck by it. And now look, like, I, I really want to get into uh, quickly. Uh, we could talk about the MPL Foundation if you want to touch on that quickly before we move on. Like, what are you, uh, what is going on with that? Yeah, I know there's a music festival. Um, I don't know because of COVID-19 if that's still going on or what, what, but I'd love to hear about how that came about. So you have the, before I let you go into this, you have the Athletes for Care, uh, Hemp Peel Foundation and Body Check Wellness. I don't know if there's anything else I'm missing, but can you just talk about what came first out of those three and sort of like how it all came out before we let you go yeah sure yeah so hemp Peel's foundation was uh was founded right after i retired back in 2000 uh well that'd be 2011 by the time i had the, the, the 5-1-T-3 paperwork submitted and, and and received back received so it was uh you know it, again for all of the points that you just made and, and my 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 last little rant there um it was when i started to understand this whole world of holism and i started to understand the cannabis plant in its entirety and as you alluded to, cannabis is much bigger than just smoking cannabis, right? I mean, we're talking about an industrial resource, and you're talking about minor cannabinoids that are anti-inflammatory and have neuroprotective properties. So I sort of understand all that. And then you mentioned the hemp seeds. I really got into nutritional healing. You know, we're obsessed with protein, right? So naturally, I got into plant-based protein and uh, very digestible protein source. So hemp, as an industrial resource, um, is arguably the world's most useful plant and resource um, throughout time and history. They're all cultures, you know. You're talking about hemp fibers to hemp, uh, you know, hemp, you know, textiles and clothing and fuel and and, and building materials. And you, you can go on, you can go on for days on what hemp can do as an industrial resource. But staying in the, the world of medicine um, with a focus for me obviously because of you know the neuroprotective properties of these these minor cannabinoids like cbd and you know again being punched in the face for the last eight years seemed logical that i would start taking a a, a patented neuroprotectant by the u.s government so i started picking holes in the hypocrisy within the laws and within within the narrative of, of cannabis um looked at you know looked into synthetic thc that you know hypocrisy 101 that the natural plant is outlawed, but we can synthesize THC and we can call it Marinol and we can sell that to people. So I, I was just really, really focused on, you know, these minor cannabinoids as well as the industrial resource, but it started off as a, as a music festival in Philly. And up until this year, COVID hit, just, uh, you know, obviously canceled for this year. Um, that was the main, main fundraiser was the, the music festival and just showing the different faces of cannabis. So again, outside of the smoking of cannabis, which people do on their own and understand. I mean, who doesn't understand that part of it? 
but it's the rest of it that people don't understand. It's nutrition. It's you know, it's the fibers. It's the building materials. It's this you know, sustainable way of living and, and doing industry. Um, so up until last year, I you kind of uh, added a different dimension to hemp heels, which is hemp. I did hemp heels hockey. I did a hockey camp subsidized by sponsors, and it was, it was teaching the youth about pain management and 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 tools to be better athletes but better people right so it's like okay well eventually we had i think we had uh, 10 years old to 17 years old right so you think it's like too young to teach this no it's not because every single one of these kids is going to have inflammation they're going to have pain and if you don't teach them the right way they're going to be hooked on start probably with a tylenol then a tylenol three and then probably an opioid and then booze in there too if you don't Teach these kids the right way how to manage pain, inflammation, and their mental health issues, concussion issues. So every day, first day was nutritional. It was a nutritional healing day. So we just did smoothies, bananas, strawberries, and hemp seeds. Very simple, right? So all of a sudden, you got electrolytes, you got nutrient-rich food, and you got a digestible protein source. Pretty easy to understand. A 10-year-old can understand it. I mean, my, my three-year-old can understand it. So it just needs to be taught. So I just wanted to take my hockey platform and, and to teach things that aren't being taught. Um, and a little bit taboo still, but you know what? If we're, if we're not going to talk about them, they're always going to be um, taboo. And you know, and, and again, I, this was this was last year and not in 2011. It might have been too early to present that because you know I was in this way before. It was sexy to talk about cannabis. You know, now everyone feels comfortable about it because it's you know mainly and largely legalized everywhere. You know, at least state by state and in Canada. So uh, that that's that's the hemp deals in a nutshell. Really, it's just educational. Um, you know, content around the hemp plant and, and, and holistic living, how how the hemp plant can impact our lives in a positive way. And you mentioned before, it's like, well, you know, uh, I use cannabis, uh, you know, to, to, to manage, you know, anxiety and stress and, and people are, you know, talking or you know, saying certain things about you using cannabis when you shouldn't be because you're you an addict. But guess what? Like, um, cannabis is an exit drug. I can't tell you how many guys that I've, come across in my life that I've used cannabis to get off hard drugs and alcohol. I mean, it's a gateway to wellness. Uh, yes, it can be abused, but I mean, the, the bottom line is is that if there's no physical withdrawal symptoms from cannabis. It lands up being more, um, you know, is more of a dependency that you would ha- you know have built with this than an addiction. You know, it's like the alcohol, try and get off alcohol cold turkey. You, you could die from the, from the withdrawal. Heroin. I mean, you you would know. I mean, I mean the withdrawal. It's got to be. It's got to be terrifying. Um, it, uh, it's, so I'm cannabis, terrified. It's the worst thing ever, bro. Keep going. The worst, sorry. It's the worst thing ever. And uh, you keep hearing these stories. Then you can find cannabis, not just to, to you know to, to manage the withdrawal symptoms of the, the hard drugs, but actually using this as a tool to manage anxiety and stress and and, and keeping your body and your nervous system calm. Because what I've learned, and I was guilty for this for years, is I was overstressed over anxious chronically anxious you know what i mean based on the things i was doing fighting regularly chronic state of anxiety not managing my stressors properly you know so i wasn't expressing myself positively i was expressing myself through violence and and drinking and partying you know so we as human beings we need we need positive ways to manage stress and cannabis is the safest tool you know, plant medicine to manage to manage and manage anxiety. You know, and then if you want to get into hemp derived CBD with lesser THC, um, yes, that that can help with anxiety in a major way too. Um, the, the, the the caution with cannabis is it's a high THC variety. You know, what I mean, I think there needs to be some education around a little more balance in the cannabis because a lot of guys are just 
smoking, you know, really concentrated amount of cannabis all day long. And yeah, that can have a, a negative effect on your, you know, your personal life and your productivity, but it's certainly better than, than cranking heroin into your arm. You know what I mean? I mean you talk 100%. about steps to recovery, steps to recovery. We're trying to get better. We're trying to, uh, and even for myself personally, I was, I was always a cannabis consumer. I was always using cannabis my, since I was 15 years old. I didn't understand the ther- the real true therapeutic and medicinal components of the plant until I retired. I always knew it made me feel better and it took the edge off and helped me sleep. Then all of a sudden I was reading the, under- reading the science and understanding the science behind it. It made a whole lot of sense. I could connect the dots where now I'm in a position where I titrated back on my THC. I still consume cannabis regularly, but I'm not consuming anywhere near the amount of cannabis that was in my early in my, in my early retirement days because I still didn't understand it, but I was also using it to treat my concussions, to treat my substance abuse. So once you get a hold of those things, you can actually, you know, show more respect to the plant and, and, and kind of taper back, still appreciate the plant, but not have to use as much. And that's, that, that should be really the message is, is, is using these tools to, 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 to slowly but surely get better. And then eventually, you know, the goal is to be able to manage your pain and, and your and your anxiety and stress, um, you know, uh, with with a minimal with these minimal amounts of these tools, right? Because we don't need to be self medicated all day, every day, um, for the rest of our lives in, in a perfect world. Some people do, depending on the situation. But the, the goal is to really be able to reel this thing in, and, and you know, having the yoga and the meditation and the breath work and the, and the nutrition kind of take care of all that stuff, you know, like let food be thy medicine, medicine be thy food, which said 3,000 years ago, you know, so using these tools and, and being, being, being realistic with the difference between cannabis and heroin, you know, there's, there's a big, big difference, big difference between cannabis and alcohol, you know, we glorify booze, booze has got to be one of those toxic, destructive substances known to man, and it's taken down more guys than probably heroin. Hundred uh, percent, it has. One hundred percent. You you mentioned. Sorry, Rouse. You, you mentioned. You mentioned that alcohol withdrawal can kill. My grandpa actually died from alcohol withdrawal. Like just because really he sober. was drink. Yeah, like you know, he yep. like, he couldn't get. He could not get to the liquor store because he was so sick when he woke up that he literally shook and died in cold sweat or however horrible way he passed away or as his soul um, from alcohol withdrawal. And if in sorry to cut you off, but like in 2020, if my opinion, okay, this is my opinion, why? And and I agree 100%. I've been to treatment so many times, and I've been done this whole addiction, uh, alcoholism. I know that is my sort of field of expertise if I have one, because I just have been doing it for the last 10 years. I've seen that's what my life has entailed. So that's what I know. And um, I'm telling you that. if we can go to the store and buy alcohol, why can't I go to the store and buy heroin? It's no different. In, in my opinion, it is no different. I'm not saying that we should be able to go to the store and buy heroin, but the only reason, like alcohol, you know, if I smoke a joint, Riley, um, I shouldn't get behind the wheel and drive. However, if I do, I feel a lot more safe. Or if someone's driving after they smoke the joint, I feel a lot safer than if somebody's drunk and driving or even just hanging out with somebody, let's say. Because if somebody gets drunk, if we get drunk, you know, it's, I get loud and obnoxious and I want to fight and everything. I smoke a joint, I'm laughing, eating, I want to go out and do stuff. Um, yep. I'm enjoying life, you know, and I remember. 
this stuff too, right? So sorry, carry on. If there's a couple of things that else you have to say there, like I didn't want to cut you off, but it's it's true to me. It's like why? Why alcohol is the worst, the worst. And you know, you see it on on TV and in movies, people on commercials, even even on talk shows. There, you know, guests come out, they're drinking, they're whatever. Um, what the hell is the difference if somebody wants to smoke a joint? Or honestly, um, to me, it is just the alcohol is the worst. It's the worst. Yeah. Sorry, it gets me fired up. It's the worst, man. Sorry, go ahead, Ryan. It really is. You know, and this is and this is like this is systematic, right? This is this is done on purpose because they know because they the system knows that alcohol is very addictive and it will destroy lives. You look at the Aboriginal community, say in Canada, northern parts of uh, you know the U.S. I mean, Aboriginals have been essentially um, their, their culture has been ruined through alcohol, right? It destabilizes people, right? It inflicts addiction. It removes spirit. That's what alcohol does. It it, it, it removes spirit out of something. Whether you're talking about the essence of plants, you're talking about the extracting essential oils out of plants, or the you know the spirit out of humans. The more you drink, the more you black out, right? You eventually will black out where you're unconscious, right? Um, uh, you go look at the, the, the heroin or you look at the opioids. Well, okay, well, heroin's illegal because, you know, the system can't make any money off street heroin, but they can synthesize it and put it in a pill. And when you have a surgery, we can go give you synthetic heroin, which they know mm-hmm. will eventually create an addiction. And then eventually you're probably line up on the street buying heroin, but they know they can enslave you through an opioid, right? And so you have yeah. two highly addictive substances that are totally legal and totally, totally uh, accessible. Um, and then you have cannabis outlawed. And then and they, and they, and they, and they'll, they'll inject a fear in you about, oh, yeah, cannabis is a devil's lettuce. It's going to make you all this crazy shit. But they don't talk about alcohol and they don't talk about essentially synthetic heroin. But they want to demonize yeah. this, 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 this natural herb. So they got it all wrong on purpose. So we're confused, and, and then and then they'll, they'll put you in jail, right? They'll put you in the U.S., they'll put you in a private prison system, um, you know, for cannabis, because it interferes with the politics of medicine. That's all it is. But it also enslaves people. When people are enslaved and, 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 and they're neither chopped out with addiction, they're they're easily manageable. They'll, they will go through these substance abuse programs. They will sign up for this. They will sign up for that, because they're always going to be in treatment the rest of their lives. The last thing they want is people using plant medicine. Because it interferes mm. with the model. You know what I mean? They don't want, first of all, they don't want consciousness. They don't want us to be more conscious and aware. They want us to be dumbed down and enslaved. And they don't want yeah. us to be using these tools because it doesn't profit them. You know? So I, I know I hate to sound like, you know, uh, aggressive like this, but it's the truth. And I've peeled back these layers over and over and over again. And the more you peel them back, the, the, the darker and dirtier it gets. You know, when you talk about controlling people and controlling um, consciousness and controlling people. Um, through through addiction, right? I mean, and, and you mentioned earlier, it's like, you know, you go through these substance abuse programs and people want to demonize you and say, well, I, I, you're using cannabis um, and you should be 100% sober. Well, shame, shame on them for ever even saying something like that because it's, I, I have buddies that have gone through the same thing and they feel shamed. They feel shamed into even wanting to try cannabis and stuff like that. And I, all I'm saying is just believe in yourself and your own journey in this in this treatment, and, and forget about their narrative because these guys are self, they let us be self righteous. You know what I mean? AA program leaders and stuff like that. It's like you don't do it our way, you're, you're out. You're you're not you're not sober. You're not truly sober. But you can't use CBD products. Or you can't microdose psilocybin to get your brain function, you know, improved. All these different things. 
Um, you know, so it's it, it, it just it's just all kinds of wrong in the way we're treating addiction, you know, because we're not being honest with it. We're not, we're not, we're not opening up, you know, all these, you know, these kinds of worms, all these tools to be using. We just want to say, we absolutely have to just, we have to be um, completely sober from every little thing on this planet. And you, you know, even I think pharmaceuticals to some degree, some of these uh, programs say, okay, if you have, you know, any issues, you cannot use that because that would be, that would sacrifice your sobriety. So, uh, all I'm saying is, like, we, we, we got to think for ourselves. We got to do what's right for ourselves and what feels right for our spirit, right? I mean, that was, that was I went on a limb and I, I, a leap of faith. I went against pharma. I went against the whole, you know, traditional model of managing pain and, and took a leap of faith and did it with plant medicine and treated my concussions with plant medicine. And, you know, it went up, it went up against everything that I was told and, and, and conditioned to think. So what we need to do is teach people how to think. And kind of like see see the holes in the system and, and and take control of your own life. You need to be empowering people to, to you know to, to take these leaps of faith because right now we're just we're just you know it's like blind following the blind. I mean it's like you know it's like people don't even know what to do anymore. We're confused. You know what I mean? We're, we're confused because they they go to the doctor and they're not getting results. They go to the doctor, they're not getting results. You know, it's like the same. It's just different medication. This 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 and this. And, you know, you're dragging guys through the mud and they're confused. They're, they don't know where else to go. So we just need to kind of rally together and start spreading the good word about some of these natural alternatives because that's part of the problem. You know, booze is ingrained in the culture of hockey. It's ingrained in just culture in general. Booze, it, it, it's just like, you know, it's, it's normal to be it's like considered a beauty by being the, the drunkest guy and the biggest idiot on the yeah. team. You're be always a beauty. It's a beauty. It's like we glorify that behavior, and you know. And, and I, I was in that culture. You know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not like you know, being a hypocrite here. I'm trying to help that culture. Um, you know, because if, if, if imagine as a general manager of a team, whether you're in junior, American League, or NHL, you you care about your players' well-being. Well, you should. You should be caring about prevention of injury because I mean, if your go-to guy gets hurt, some injury could have prevented. Well, your season's pretty much shot. So, from a general manager's and coach's perspective, I would want my guys using cannabis, CBD, with 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 intention and you know, mindfully using it the right way, um, as opposed to going out and getting shit faced next for a game or even throughout the week. Because if bad things happen at the bar, bad things happen when you're, you're a group of guys getting shit faced, and, and long term, eventually some of these guys will become addicts. We can we we could really change that if we actually are honest with substance. We don't we don't separate substance. We talk about schedule and drugs. All schedule one drugs are the same if it's scoring the most people. Heroin's the same as cannabis. Ecstasy is the same as cannabis. Well, it's not. You know what I mean? It's, it's not. <laughs> there's, 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 no, there's no denying that cannabis and some of these other plant medicines are far superior healers and non-addictive. They're non-addictive, yeah, you can get addicted to anything, really. But, I mean, there's, there's no physical withdrawal from them. So we just got to be honest with this and, um, and, 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 and help change the culture through the tools that we're using to help guys get through pain, not even just physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, guys yep. who deal with personal issues off the ice, you know, how are we helping these guys? If we're just going to put them on Valium or we're going to put them on some sort of you know, SSRI right away, well, you're stripping these guys of their, of their emotions, right? I mean, we need to get to the root cause of these things and treat these guys holistically. I, I, I'm living proof of this, and I help a ton of guys that are living proof of this too now. That, you know, that are seeing this other world of healing 
And um, it's, it's almost like the complete opposite of what we've been told or introduced to through, say, through sports or just in general. It's just, it's sports just mimics the size. Yeah, it, it certainly does. And it's really hard because when you're told something your whole life, and especially when you go to a doctor, right? Like I talk about this all the time. I've been talking about it with my girlfriend because she's pregnant and her mom is going going through some stuff. And we have a friend, Donna Reed. Shout out, Donna. We love you. She has pancreatic uh, cancer, but she's going to get through it. I know she is. Um, but we talk, I've just been talking about doctors all the time. And like, I swear to God, these doctors, as much as maybe they want to help, they don't really know enough about anything like and they just are told i swear to god i would like to see how they come up with how they're going to decide what they're going to prescribe you when you go talk to a doctor because i swear to god it's these pharmaceutical companies that come in you know whether it's a week or a month before and say hey this is our new drug um here's some samples if your patient's feeling depressed give them this and they have no idea what it is they're just going based on what the oh the fda approved it and the pharmaceutical well what the fuck like i swear to god like you i watched this documentary called the pharmacist on netflix it's all about oxygen all about the oxycontin epidemic if you have time it's a mini series i swear to god you should watch it. it's about this pharmacist whose son died because he went to go buy crack this is how the whole thing started his son went to go buy crack and ended up getting shot and killed or stabbed and killed because it was a botched drug deal the person stole his money or whatever and killed him over like nothing and anyways so this guy was you know trying to figure out what happened to his son and over it all he started noticing that all these young kids were coming into the pharmacy and like getting their oxys filled and he figures out that this one doctor is just pumping them out and it's just insane but i swear to god that these doctors don't really know what they're doing and what they're prescribing and it's all chemical based so how 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 the hell can anybody not see it, it to me is so clear plain as day these are natural occurring plants that we're yep. put here. This is not chemists and you know scientists, you know, coming up, oh, we gotta split this molecule. No, 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 no. This is right here in the fucking ground. Let's go. You know what I mean? And I just wanted to quickly touch because um, I actually just learned about this yesterday. And rest in peace, Terry Trafford. I don't know if you've heard this story. He died in 2014. He committed suicide. He was an OHL player. Um, and he got caught smoking a fucking joint by the set he played for the Saginaw Spirit. Oh yeah. Um, and he yeah, and he got caught smoking a joint and with another player. Um, and they sent him only him back to Toronto. Um, and then they said come back in a week or whatever. So they didn't even fucking first of all, I don't want to go on a witch hunt here because I'm not about that. But they didn't even call him. They got his agent to tell him they decided while well, he was gone they came up with some other information that deemed him um not fit for their culture so they just called his agent and made it their his agent at 20 years old his oa year in the ohl tell him that he's not welcome back after playing four years in the o um because he smoked a joint and some other information that they will still not disclose um and then so he drives back to get his stuff with no you know they cut him no whatever um and he kills himself and they didn't find his body in a truck for fucking nine days in a walmart parking lot wow um yeah it's, I saw the article. His name is Terry. Yeah, Terry Trafford, and um, you know, so like that right there. The guy smoked a joint. Like, why not? Why not go? Hey, maybe this kid needs help. Maybe this kid needs um, some support. Obviously, if he's trying to medicate, maybe he had pain, emotional or physical, and that's the way and the safest way, in our opinions, and I truly believe it, 
to deal with it. And then he's getting punished and kicked off a team, and then he takes his own life. I'm not yep. going to dive into this too much, but that is this. That's the problem right there. Even in, especially in the hockey community, yeah. you're going to get suspended for for smoking a joint. But then if you blow out your shoulder, guess what? Here's Percocets. Here's Oxy's. No big deal. Yeah, yeah. You know, and unfortunately, you know, the, the good chunk of the hockey community is still run by the old heads, right? The old generation of uh, you know not critical thinkers. They're still they're still wrapped up in the booze era. They're still wrapped up in the, you know the anti-inflammatory era. You know what I mean? In the ambient era, and like they they don't, they don't know any better, honestly. Like I'm not sticking up for them because I've worked with some old school coaches, um, and we had some guys even when I was coaching. We had some guys getting popped for for cannabis, and I was the guy that's like. Listen, don't make this thing a big deal for yourself. We have to suspend you because that was like the protocol because it's, you know, it is a schedule one drug and you know what I mean? And all there's whatever reasons they have behind it. But the, the, the old, the old school guys don't have a clue, right? They're still in the, they're still in the mindset that cannabis is, you know, as a gateway drug and cannabis kills brain cells and all these crazy propaganda, um, you know, items that we've been fed our whole life. So until the older generation kind of dies off, and this younger generation starts taking, you know, lead on, you know, league policies and, and team policies, you're going to see significant change when that happens. It's, it's like in politics. We need some of these old heads to die off, you know? We need these old old dudes to die off, and then the younger generation actually has some sort of consciousness to them, um, you know, kind of step in and start you know, restructuring um, you know the model because right now it's still it's still in the hands of you know the the ignorant really. Yeah, for, for sure, for sure it is, and and that's a good point. Before I let you go, I know you got your kids probably waking up and you got to go. Um, I just quickly, and I wish we would spend more time. I'm sure I'll have you on again, um, but I want to talk about athletes for care a little bit um, before I let you go and uh, what you guys are doing there, how it all came about. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I talked about hemp deals earlier. It's like a lot of speaking publicly, advocacy just around cannabis and hemp, and um, eventually started speaking at um, different conferences around the U.S. and in Canada. I started running into a bunch of different athletes, different sports. A lot of the same stories, a lot of synergies within their storylines. Um, so naturally, it made a lot of sense to kind of come together. So, you know, these guys are using cannabis to treat pain or anxiety or depression or substance abuse. Uh, whatever concussion issues so we realized that there was an amazing opportunity to promote an, a natural alternative through the you know through the lens of sports right and just sh showing that um that, that cannabis can be an alternative to an opioid and we have an opioid crisis kind of highlighting the opioid crisis and showing the alternative um so started off really mainly around cannabis you know helping guys transition out of the game with cannabis and you know, introducing, you know, the different levels of cannabis, different variations of cannabis, you know, CBD and these other minor cannabinoids. So if some guys don't want to get highs, that's cool. we got options for you. Anti-inflammatory, kind of breaking down the science. So a lot of speaking engagements originally and, the, you know, telling stories, sharing our stories and validating it with science. We always have a medical professional on the panels with us. Since 2016, it's evolved much, you know, much greater than that because, as we know, cannabis is just one of many tools. It's, 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 it's a great tool, but it's just a tool. So we talk about all things wellness, all things in that holistic world. You know, again, the meditation, the yoga, um, the nutritional healing. We're starting to talk about psilocybin mushrooms. Um, you know, just, um, just just trying to support what we're talking about through science. So we've engaged in four different you know, research initiatives in the last couple of years, you know, trying to just 
use the sport sports platform to normalize these issues for the the general population, right? For for the community, because this isn't this isn't just an athlete problem. It's not just a sports issue. This is this is a, a global issue. This is this is society's issue, but you know it's, it's magnified in sports. So we're just using the sports platform to talk about some of these taboo subjects and destigmatize some of these these um, you know these plant medicines. Um, through storytelling and science. And, and you know, that, that's kind of a nutshell, just the support system for athletes, but also the bigger portion of that is using the sports platform to normalize these things for the for, for the greater good of the public. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great. So you guys started that in, in 2016, and if anybody wants to uh, check it out, I'll post the links for sure, uh, Hempiel Foundation. And then uh, quickly, if you just want to give us a the quick uh, version of body check wellness. Yep. Body check wellness is a uh, hemp derived CBD and functional mushroom company. So all the things we're talking about here, when we talk about recovery, you know, inflammation, um, CBD is the highest inflammatory. I mean, the U S government holds a patent on cannabinoids as antioxidants and neuroprotectants. I think cats out of the bag now with, with, um, you know, the, the, the science behind cannabis as a healer. So, Focusing on hemp-derived CBD, full spectrum mainly, uh, meaning that it has all the other minor cannabinoids as well as terpenes in there, and then uh, functional mushrooms. I'm big into the mushroom play. Um, you know, just mimicking the CBD as far as brain health, lion's mane, great for brain health uh, and, and, and 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 neuroprotectant properties. Cordyceps for sustainable energy and chaga, reishi, uh, you know, for sleep and, and mood and, and turkey tail for immunity. So. Just uh, all things wellness, and um, just just trying to really focus on pain, inflammation, anxiety, sleep, and uh, just uh, brain health. So all these things combined are in that world. So that's it. That's it. That's awesome. And uh, if you if you want to, what's the website for Body Check Wellness? It's uh, bodycheckwellness.com, and check is spelled C H E K. So bodycheckwellness.com, C H E K. And uh, right now we're in the sale, twenty five percent off for. Uh, for um, 4th of July. Oh, awesome. Okay, I'll make sure I uh, post it all on the social, my social media links and everything and uh, uh, the link for uh, MPLs and uh, Athletes for Care and everything. And uh, Coates, I really appreciate this, man. Like you are uh, somebody that I look up to for sure and I appreciate uh, the fact that we're now, you know, friends and that you, you know, you pick up my calls, my texts, and uh, I'll try not to bug you too, too much, but um, you are, uh, you know, you're full of so much information, and really, I'm trying to, you know, emulate what you're doing. Um, Maybe not exactly, but, um, you know, definitely following your lead. I want to get more into the yoga, and, uh, you know, I may even, I'm thinking about going to be a vegan, and um, it's just, uh, yeah it's just so awesome so thank you um, so much uh, for everything that you do um, for leading the charge and being fearless and brave I truly appreciate it um, and I look forward to doing this again really soon absolutely man anything I can do to help let me know alright man thank you so so much no problem I'll talk to you soon alright man everyone that uh, that's Riley Cote uh, former NHL enforcer uh, turned healer. Uh, I want to say thank you so much to Riley. Um, you know, it uh, certainly, certainly uh, is not an easy transition uh, out of hockey, and it seems like he 
is uh, doing extremely well and not only for himself but for others uh, which is great and uh, you know I have so many great role models to look up to like Riley and Darren McCarty uh, a new friend of mine Josh Gratton is going to be on another former NHL enforcer friend of ours uh, guys the support network just continues continues to grow and I love I love to share it with people so if you're struggling guys girls reach out please please reach out to me i'm here if not to me to somebody else uh we're gonna get that puck support 1-800 number up and running really soon um we need to do this guys if you want to get involved with the puck support foundation you can send us an email team at pucksupport.com that's t-e-a-m at pucksupport.com uh guys um keep an eye out uh for pucksupport.com should be available in the next week or two um guys thank you so much for the support um i'm extremely grateful uh for so many things and i'm grateful for you for listening so thank you um please leave me any comments on social media follow me at hockey to heroin on instagram twitter uh, if you want to win some free team issued gear go to hockey to every sunday night we do live stream giveaways giveaways snapback hats socks um the prizes will continue to grow um i'm extremely happy today guys i'm okay today i'm okay and uh yeah the future looks so bright and uh i'm just so 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 grateful to everybody that's uh supported me um along the way and never given up on me uh there's a few of few of you out there you know who you are i love you guys so much uh to all my new supports out there thank you so much and uh I just want to remind everybody that, you know, I really do care uh, about everybody out there. Um, I would love to be able to uh, help out in any way that I can uh, and provide resources uh, for anybody that needs them. If I can, I will do it. Uh, Life is not easy, guys. It it certainly is not easy, but it is an adventure. And... uh, I'm just so thankful that I'm still breathing, that I'm going to have a beautiful little girl in October. Uh, I have a beautiful girlfriend who has two beautiful little kids that now call me dad. Um, Their dad isn't around. Um, I'm hopefully going to adopt them. And one day I just envision um, my kids and my new little family uh, coming together to make one great big family and I know that might be wishful thinking um, because I understand there's going to be some hard feelings and uh, hurt there Um, but at the end of the day I have so much love for everybody Brooklyn and Brody I love you guys so much I think about you all the time and to my son that I've never met I think about you all the time too we all have choices guys what kind of choices are you going to make today you make the right ones the wrong ones are you going to lie are you going to tell the truth ultimately It's up to you. So remember, have a great day if you so choose.